Drug, drunk, pissy, uh, sippin' whizzy while she smokin' sticky uh, Pumpin' big buns, so loud, you know the Bronx yeah, Really fuck with me, come from them uptown avenues With them hustlers that make bread, serving more than a bird or two If we never heard of you, it's nothing to discuss And life's a bitch that I love to fuck for the rush yeah. They don't get it, sack the sad with the bucks Might as well spend it up, nothing in life's ever enough, huh? If you came from the bottom None of these niggas wanna problem Cause we out here getting money Welcome to the show. Welcome to another week of quarantine. Welcome to the new life as we know it. Uh, Jayla is live from some lawyer's office down in Florida. You know, had to come, had to come handle some stuff, though. He's live from the Barnes uh, satellite office. <laughs> Crazy is live from the boogie down. I'm saying. Benny Banks is live from the gym. He hasn't joined us yet. He's probably getting his reps in. Trying to get all pretty. The show's produced by Trees Productions. Our photographer, CJ Wright. Today's oh. special guest is my man, Izzy, the producer from Digital Bodega. If you guys don't know Izzy. What's up, man? What's up? He's worked on a bunch of projects. Welcome to the show, Izzy. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you guys. So... Let's start with the basics. Who is Izzy? What is Digital Bodega? What do you do? Why are you interesting? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So to start off, so Izzy, I'm a producer from the South Bronx. I've been living in the Bronx my entire life. I've been, you know, like, moved, like I moved around the Bronx a bunch of times. I lived, like, in the Concourse. I live around 3rd Avenue. live near Longwood. And I live, I feel like I live, like, right near Hunts, uh, right, um, right near... What I'll say, Soundview, sort of. I'm like right, in, right in the front of Soundview. Okay. Um, and I'm living here. I've been living here for like what, thirty years almost. Right by the, right by the New Orleans front over there, Soundview. I don't even know where that's at. I'm like right on the six line, Soundview Morrison. Oh, yeah, but I've been doing, you know, so I've been doing content. I would say since high school. I first joined the Ghetto Film School, like as a nonprofit. They kind of gave me like the resources and you know skill sets for me to you know become a filmmaker. Um, after that, you know, I went off to college, graduated college. I started working actually um, as a staff at the Ghetto Film School around 2012. I already had a degree in video arts. I did advertising and PR in college. Um, and then I freelanced for like a year or two, you know, just doing digital content. Welcome to the show, Django. <laughs> so, you know, so then at a... Uh, to get a film school, I started like learning how to produce content. You know, like they had Digital Bodega there. So at that time, Digital Bodega was part of the actual Ghetto Film School. Um, he's gonna get on top of me. Uh, so, he, uh, so he was part of, you know, uh, DB was part of the Ghetto Film School. They became, you know, it was kind of like the sister company. DB like created revenue for the nonprofit. So I was able to actually hire some of the students, train the students, give them like real, uh, like real world experience, actually working with brands. Um, mm-hmm creating content but also getting paid you know you're like what 16 17 years old and you're working on a psa on a music video so you know um you're gaining a lot of you know experience at a young age and that's what digital bodega was doing at the time training the young fellows from the ghetto film school um and you know i was doing that for what maybe four four or five years and around 2017 2016 db just split 
GFS became more focused on the nonprofit, more focused on educating students. And then DB was kind of just spent off as his own entity. And I became you know, the president. My business partner, Daquan, he's the VP of production. And right now it's a three-man team. And you know, we have one full-time employee now, Wilma. Mm-hmm. She's our digital strategist. And our, you know, I think for, uh, for DB, it's just, you know, we love just creating content that feels authentic, story-driven, socially conscious, you know, we're full service. We've do creative from the beginning to end. So, you know, when you come to DB, you know, you get like a full service uh, production house, you know, that we do the casting, we do the creative for it. Uh, we handle all the contracts and, you know, so that way the client, they're coming in for one thing and they're only leaving, you know, they're leaving with everything. So that's, that's cool. Really, yeah. That's super dope. I get into like what what made you pursue a career in that? Like, why did you want to get into production in television and film? My Harley Davidson's just—I don't know if y'all hear it—just flying <laughs> in the streets. Uh, how'd you get into TV and film? Like, what was that a passion you always had, or no? Honestly, that came back from like 2004, like when I was in high school. Um, I was doing like after-school program, playing chess, and you know, like doing like different type of things. And then my teacher said, hey, you know, you should join this nonprofit inside Bronx called the Ghetto Film School. You know, you can actually like, learn how to make films. And for me, you know, like, we don't have, to me, like, um, I come from a family, like, we don't have filmmakers in my family. You know, like, we don't have directors, editors, people that work in the industry. So for me, that world was not really a world that I knew about. But the mm-hmm. Ghetto Film School, you know, they came and said, hey, you know, you guys could be filmmakers. You know, like, this is a viable career for you. Um, you know, especially, you know, coming up from a, you know, a different background where your story matters as well. So from there, you know, it's kind of like just, that spark in my head, say, hey, you know, maybe, you know, video content, you know, could be something that I could be, you know, making money out of eventually. Um, so, you know, I started from like 04 and, you know, through high school and college, I was still doing video content. Um, I freelance, you know, did some gigs for MTV, um, did some casting stuff. So, you know, I feel like my skill set is like different ranges, you know, from casting, you know, from producing, from editing, from now, you know, doing my own digital content work, you know, so... Coming in from like that early stage, I was able to experience different skill sets and different, you know, like jobs in the industry. Yeah. How do you feel about the climate of today's industry? Now that there's more, uh, I'm going to use the term Latinx, but I don't subscribe to that term. Now that there's more Latino material, because I know <clears throat> you said 2004, we didn't mm-hmm. have much representation as far as like our stories or a, a show or maybe a movie at that time. Um, how do you feel about today's climate and today's production that's being put out? Today, I feel like we have, like, we're definitely making a lot of moves. Um, you know, I feel like there's been kind of like a, a spotlight on like, you know, just diverse content, especially, you know, with the success of Parasite and, you know, you have, um, uh, you, know, you have Atlanta, you have Insecure, you have, you know, all these different TV shows that are, you know, that are up and coming that people actually are watching. So, you know, for Hollywood, it's like, you guys are missing out. Uh, like this economy, you know, this economy boom where you know we have Black Panther that you know uh, broke records. Yo, a lot of these films that you know that are coming in now that you know are now making the case that that says that you know we can actually sell theaters and we can actually sell movies and we can actually sell tickets. So I feel like right now, you know, we're still we're still making a dent, but I feel like you know we have a long way to go still. I was gonna say, where do you feel like we're lacking though? Because obviously we always like there's a, a lack you and we hear a lot. We've heard it a lot. I think I hear it a lot. I also feel the same way as yeah. there's a lot of like, you know, in the African-American community, um, 
even not even African American, like it just just in general, they kind of just stick together. The BAT, the Tyler Perry's, they find a way to kind of support each other and all that. How do you feel? Like, where do you feel art we are lacking in that? Where we can make as far as Latinos, you mean, right? Yeah, as far as Latinos. Here's the thing with Latinos, and you know, this is just me being like a hundred transparent. We're a really wide range of people. You know, we all have kind of like the same culture and kind of sort of you know Latinos, Hispanic, but. For us, you know, we don't really unite when it comes to media. You know, if you think about it like now, uh, there is content being made, but that content is being made more for South Americans as opposed to, you know, being made for more a broader Latino audience. So for me, you know, like, we're like, what's the change that needs to be happening? It's, you know, us uniting together and, you know, actually not fighting for the same opportunities or fighting for the same, you know, like contracts. I feel like, you know, when we work as a unit, we could, you know, actually make a bigger strive in the industry. So for me, it's just you know, working together, you know, and I'm always open to working with, you know, wide range of people. If you have the same, you know, like work ethics as me, you know, then right. we definitely see ourselves working together in, you know, different capacities. I hear that. I think, um, you know, so the problem I feel for me too is that the, the term, right? Like the Latino, Latinx, yeah. you know, it comes in so many different, you know, shapes and forms. There's like, you know, there's the there's the side of the Latinx culture that's like non-English speaking. Now there's the, you know, the English market. Like we have some homies. I mean, these are your homies too. You guys work on this stuff. We're gonna we're gonna ask you about this in general. But you know, like uh, Tommy and uh, and Ivan. Yeah. You know, I feel like they they're kind of. To me, I, I, I see them and the, a lot of stuff that they're doing and the work that they're doing. And it's so crazy because they have like a lot of the younger people fucking with them. But truthfully, a lot of the older people too, because a lot of their stuff mixes in some Spanish and like the language stuff, they kind of get, you know, back and forth with it too. I feel like they, to me, they're touching a lot of different and they're not just touching the Dominican or, you know, like our uptown kind of um, culture. Yeah. They are people because they they kind of are doing both. Like they're kind of saying, okay, young people, the, you know, the English uh, side of it, the Spanish side, of it, I think that's what happens. And I feel like our shit gets all, you have to kind of try to market to so many different types of Latinx Latino that it's hard. There's you know, no perfect way to yeah, go. About. Bring all, everything, everybody under that one umbrella sometimes. Yeah. That's completely my opinion on based on my limited knowledge of it, but it just seems like there's so much shit that you got to cover in order to like say, yo, it's all of us. Um, that it, that That's one of the things that I think makes it hard. Is that something that you approach in your content? Like, do you do you look at that? Or am I going to touch everybody? Am I, am I gearing this towards like, what's, what's that? What's your... That? So my approach now when it comes to just like content in general, especially for Latinos, because for me, I feel like I'm focusing more now on that demographic because honestly, like there's not a lot of content catered to our people. So for me, like there's a big ass void in, in like the industry. But the way I always view my content when it comes to Latino content is that no matter whether it's, you know, black, Hispanics, or, you know, like whatever your background might be, you know, Mexican, for me, it's about if the content is good. And if the, to me, like, I don't want to make it about one, let's say about Dominicans and Puerto to me is, Let's make a show that's great about just being a person. Okay. And so what that the person is black, Hispanic. And if you know, like you to me throughout the show, you'll see the culture references and you'll learn about it. But to me, the show should not just be about you 
having to deal with your grandma, having to deal, you know, with certain things from our community that that to me is always shown on camera, right? Like almost every TV show you see right now, it's based on the, the exact same formula, you know, trouble at home, you know, you got to deal with something with your grandma, you got to deal with something with your community. I feel like to me, you know, we should be making content as a general story about just being a person. And so happens that this person is, oh shit, they're Dominican. And yeah. I can see why he goes through this way because, you know, like it's the American culture now. So it's like, to me, I want to tell stories about just being a person. And then it so happens that I'm Latino. You know, that's kind of like my approach to content nowadays. I hear that. So do you, <clears throat> you were talking about your process right now. And that is actually the prime. We tried to go in that route where it's more of a broader audience. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel if you could relate on a story or a situation that someone else has been through, it doesn't matter like what your background is, you'll be able to relate and you'll enjoy it. Yeah. But what are some of the projects you have worked on and what are some things that you're currently in the middle of working on right now? Projects that I worked on before? Yeah. Uh, I worked on a few projects. I think like one of my favorite projects was mm-hmm. um, working on, you know, the get down for Bass Lerman because, you know, we shot the behind the scenes for it. Mm-hmm. Bunch of That's politics. You know, a bunch of politics behind it, but you know, the thing just just being in the presence of, you know, like a director as we're going on to that level. He's like a, you know, like he's a to me, he's a master director, right? And then being able to actually work on a show to see it from the beginning to end, where you actually saw them right in the script. You saw meeting the actors. And you know, I feel like when you meet somebody like Bass, you know, it's them believing in your vision and then say, Hey, you know, you guys are, are the next thing, you know, coming up. So let me give you guys full access. Um, so for me, you know, one of my favorite projects project is working on the get down being able to actually meet me uh you know one of the top filmmakers in the world and seeing how you know how able you know how helpful he was with us no matter you know we're a small production house from the Bronx you know this guy is kind of like you know a Hollywood elite almost so you know being able to actually you know open doors for us like really kind of teach us also at the same time you know was pretty for me you know was was one of my best moments um pressures I'm working right now it's you know uh, pay projects. We're talking to a museum right now about doing some digital content. You know, the pandemic happened and production, you know, had to be like be really put on hold for a lot of different projects. And we're now getting companies coming to us and say, hey, you know, we want to work with you guys. You guys, like, you guys have like any concept ideas for some of these projects we can work with you. So I feel like every week. Because a lot of companies are going to be starving for content because not a lot of people are filming content and a lot of stuff was put on hold. Exactly. So. so so right now, you know, we're getting emails from companies, you know, we got email actually from Complex, uh, some video content. But I feel like every week we're getting different emails from companies saying, hey, you know, we talked in the past, you know, we want to, you know, reconnect, you know, like what are you guys working on right now? So that's one of the good things. But for me, the industry is going to change completely, you know, as far as safety measures, you know, the pandemic happened and, yeah. you know, right now everybody is going to be really cautious about working and, you know, being surrounded around people and, you know, production, you know, you're actually are touching people, you know, you're right next to the DP, you're right next to the camera, you know, so it's like, how do you create a safe environment for these people and then still make production, you know, cost effective? Because, you know, if you have to hire more people now or, you know, uh, apply different measures, you know, it means you're going to cost more too. Do you think, like, instead of doing these really big avant-garde productions, like what we were kind of getting used to in a sense, I feel like, I feel like people were getting used to like doing big things and, you know, shooting in crazy places because it's only like a flight away or this or that. 
you know, obviously now that that's changing, how do you think that that's going to kind of like integrate into everything? Do you think you'll see more like, I don't know, like one man shows or like very small productions with like a team of like, let's say four people on set, you know, production wise and like three or four actors, like or sketches or talk shows, like where do you see it kind of going? To me, there might actually be more of a rise on like the indie side of it. You know, studios got to be very careful because studios, you know, you got to deal with unions, you got to deal with insurance, you got to deal with a lot of different, you know, like people and insurance and companies involved. You know, indie, you know, people are willing to risk, you know, their own, you know, safety sometimes to make a, a film, you know, to make something. So for them, it's like, do we risk not having these exact measures, but, you know, create content and be able to sell it to a big studio? You know, I feel like that might be a boom in there. But also, I feel like a lot of other studios might get creative and hire, you know, like younger people, you know, that could do graphics, that could actually create content that don't require a lot of, you know, crew members. But then also documentaries. I feel like, you know, that's might be a boom because, you know, you can be able to shoot a documentary on your own sometimes. You know, it's Yo, we, were just, we were just discussing um, documentary. Like, I mean, what are you doing right now during the quarantine? Like, are you, are you actively working or are you kind of more? I was, yeah. How yeah. does, you know, How's you. It- Put on pause. Like, what do you? How do you transition? Yeah, I mean, for us, it was a little, you know, kind of a transition from being an in-person interview. And know. yeah, and the reason I asked you is because you mentioned documentary. Like, I'll be putting in like full seven, eight-hour shifts on Netflix. Prime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you working for Netflix now? Well, yeah. And they usually watch. Like, the shit that I got that I've been obsessed with right now is like just documentaries mm-hmm. and specifically like the disinformation stuff. I was, we were just talking to our, um, our director Justin um, about about he was saying he's gonna put me on to a few of them shits. But for me, like those documentaries are the most interesting shit for me right now because it's like one of those things that it's like when um, this dude Al Gore did the fucking yeah yeah yeah, yeah. came out. And everybody knew it was a big deal, but everybody kind of like was just like, oh yeah, I guess, you know, I guess it. But like this disinformation shit is crazy. It's affecting us every fucking day. Yeah. Man. But everybody's treating it like, nah, what the fuck are you gonna do? Like that's just, you know, what it is. And so like um that's been my obsession. Um, but I wanted to know just I'm just making the assumption that other people are like me and I spend eight hours a day watching fucking <laughs> but yeah. other shit that you gotta do. And you're you're probably doing other things. Um, but what is it that you're watching? What are you doing? What, what are you? So right now, uh, I feel like for the since March, right? So I've been home since March, and I feel like the when the pandemic started happening, you know, I feel like people got nervous. So you know, like business got really quiet. But I feel like the past two or three weeks, you know, I feel like now that you know people are you know like being more careful, you know, the numbers are going down. You know, I feel like people are now starting to pick things back up. So. You know, we're we're getting, you know, we're getting a few contracts. We got the project we're doing, you know, with this nonprofit in the Bronx. But, you know, the way we now produce content got to be, you know, got to be more creative. So, Well, if it makes you feel any better, you can come to Florida because apparently Florida is like the exception to the Rona rule because everybody's out here wilding out. They look at me like I'm crazy because I go to the store. Like I went to the store one time to get essentials and I went in gloves, covered, glasses, head to toe with my mask and they're like, okay, why are you putting it like why are you putting it on when you leave the house? Put it on when we get in the store. I'm like, are you crazy? I, I wouldn't even leave my house in New York without having my mask on and my gloves on. Like they're like, nah, we only wear it like literally in the store around people and then 
that's it. We take it off. And they have parties. I've seen like friends call me. I did a drive by like a birthday. Like I thought it was going to be like a little birthday car thing. Yeah, yeah. We went and they were all having a big old party, like nothing and shooting skits and dancing. And everybody was like, Bachatea. I was like, oh, I got, oh no. Oh, oh no. Yeah, Florida's a different place. I don't know. Yeah. No, but, um, you know, to me, documentaries will definitely be a rise because they're easy to make. You know, like most documentaries are either archive footage, the Jordan doc, you know, you saw that Jordan doc. That was fantastic. So it's funny. I have a story because um, I was like, uh, I was in LA in a meeting, right? And I was talking to this LA executive and I'm pitching him this documentary that I'm down to. It's kind of like my passion project, my doc series about land trap creating a doc about all these up-and-coming artists, the rise of land trap, and, you know, how it's, like, dominating the charts. So I'm pitching this idea, and, and the guy tells me, you know, like, it's cool, but documentaries don't really sell, you know? So, like, for us, <laughs> we, we won't even be investing in it. And I'm like, I'm telling you, man, like, documentaries, you could still make content that is like, <laughs> um, aging. And then the Jordan the thing is, comes out. People like learning, especially now you're sitting at home. There's only so much you can watch as far as like fiction, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you like to watch that Jordan series. It was 10 episodes. It was something you really had to digest and really get into. It was well shot. Not only that documentary, but um, I watched the Tiger King thing was interesting. Um, well, we were talking about the Undertaker one, too, because it was the Undertaker the documentary. One. Is it good? Oh my God! It is just as good as the Jordan Doc. Fire! Yeah. Yo, to the point, to the point where you hear his voice and you're like, "That's the Undertaker!" Like it's it's like that in like in in his world. He uh, he just allowed a camera to follow him during his last couple of WrestleManias, and they did a confessional with him. And it's a whole nother side of him. But he's the perfect subject piece because he's a guy that what happened? really saw much did they hurt? besides Where what did happened. You step? Where were you? But it is just as good as the Jordan doc. Maybe yeah. even better. So, you know, they did the same thing with Kobe. Kobe basically recorded last year. So, yo, that doc's going to be crazy. You have to put There's going to be a doc also on Sammy Sosa and um, oh, yeah, uh, Mark McGuire. That one is so it's just the it's it's a way, and I saw um the I mean, but, Capone movie that just came out. Oh, you just hurt yourself. Put a bandaid on it. It's in the garbage where the crema is. Sorry, guys. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was saying that sports documentaries they they always been kind of like draw right. I feel like that's in terms of the documentary world, the one the one like type of documentary that I feel like draw bigger audience probably than other documentaries is like sports shit. I, I think also... I feel like, like that was the, um, the one that they used to have on HBO. Um, I don't the, know boxing the boxing? Nah, they had one that it was a sport. It was like uh, I think it was football. No, they had one with the oh, you're talking about Hard Knocks where they would follow a yeah. team? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, but, I feel like People like to be able to see what the fuck's going on with sports scenes more than like I feel like that's that's always been to me kind of like a draw. So I have a question then. So now we're obviously we're talking about smaller productions, and before that we talked about like kind of like 
you know, the transition from bigger to the smaller one, especially now with this whole COVID and documentaries. How do you feel about like the Nikki Jam, like Netflix? Because that was semi-documentary, but it was also very, there was you, a lot of production to it. But okay. no, no, because now hey, look, we're... You, you, I, in that fucking documentary... Uh, I, no, like, no, because... It, I, I like it because I feel like it it, rep- it captivated in two different ways. But not only that, it, it's we're talking about Latino market. And if we're talking Latino market, you could talk Undertaker, you could talk Jordan, you could talk sports all you want. But let's be real. If he's focused on a Latin market basis, there's not much to go by in our in our industry. And that's one of the very few things that is modern, that is relevant, that is right now. So how does that compare? And where do you see if you could pick three documentaries or like kind of what would you like to see if we could develop more in I the like the Maluma way. one better than the Nikki Jam. If you said the Maluma one, one yeah sorry about the Maluma one. So I feel like the the way to me the way the the way docs are gonna work for me at least in the future is that you pick one amazing subject or a person and then you mix them with you know story. You know like the reason why Jordan oh you mix them with culture. So the reason why that Jordan doc was amazing is because Jordan is a life figure. You know, like everybody knows Michael Jordan. Right? Mm-hmm. So we grew up on Michael Jordan. So the people that didn't grow up on Michael Jordan, they're actually watching that documentary to learn about Michael Jordan. You know, so I feel like it's a, you know, it's, it's a topic that, you know, it's very, um, to me, it's very relevant. So it's popular. For me, three documentaries. the huh? basketball culture. He, he's a transcendent athlete. Yep. Uh, the sneaker culture. The businessman. Uh, also, he's a businessman. Prison industrial complex. Yeah, that's listen. That's the one knock on on Jordan. Honestly, now he's got to go. I, the jeans. <laughs> I'm talking about when they make that comparison to him and 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 LeBron. The one. Now, knock. now I feel like Jordan is one of those people that is like. You know, he's like one of the Michaels, you know, like Michael Jordan, Michael Jackson, you know what I'm saying? Like Mike Tyson, like they just, they are people that they are not going to, you're not going to compare nobody else. Yeah. You're always going to fall short comparing anybody else to to whatever they're doing. You know what I'm saying? Because they, they just did it at a time where nobody else could could have did it that way. And even if somebody does it as good now, it still won't be as big as when they did it. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So just, I want to steer this back. Now you're home, you're locked up, right? What are some producers and directors that you like to watch? That you hear the name, you're like, oh, you know. Ooh, as an example, you know, yeah. uh, the Irishman was coming out. You know, you know that this was, uh, oh my God, Martin, Martin Scorsese. Mm-hmm. What is a name that you hear? Not necessarily that you're a fan, but you enjoy the quality of work. Honestly, I'm watching like, all the documentaries right now. Like, I don't really have a name, but I'm, Dude, I've just been benching on documentaries. Like, I watch uh, Tiger King. You guys got to watch the Muhammad Ali HBO documentary. Like, I think, is that my name is? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so, you know, for me, I just been like, um, I've been watching a lot of documentaries. I've been trying to, like, figure out a way one, one for me to stay motivated also. You know, I feel like this pandemic, to me, I come, you know, from background work. I love just working at my job. So, you know, having to stay home for two months is just, you know, draining. Um, but you know, I've been able to just you know like bench on, on content, trying to stay motivated. Um, watching a lot of Netflix documentary, like Netflix to me, like really, it's what's making documentaries more interesting. They're pumping dollars into it, and a lot of great content is coming out of it. Yo, 
you know, I was going to um, ask you about what you think about the BuzzFeed stuff. Um, actually, you didn't answer the question. You said who you're watching. We're actually who you're watching. My bad, right? No, no, I'm not saying that. mostly documentaries. Oh, and La Casa de Papel. She's amazing. Which one? So, Papel. Hop Money Heist, La Casa de Papel. Oh, yeah. So, Craze has been, I got one for you. It's, uh, it's called Locked Up. Okay. It's done by the same type of uh, production team that kind of did Money Heist. And you'll see some of the actors in it. So crazy man at me because I've been into Spanish cinema lately. So you've been binging on docs. I've been watching like a lot of Spanish cinema. Their okay. quality of work is insane. Bro, I just I just hope that because you've been watching all this shit in Spanish, that you can hold more than three Spanish. Wait, when you say Spanish, are we talking about Spain content? Spain, Spain, like Spain content. Yeah. Do you understand most of it, or do you subtitle it? I watch it completely in, like when I saw Money Hacks, I've seen it three times. The first time I saw it completely in Spanish. The second time I watched it in English. And then the third time I watched it in Spanish with English subtitles to see, because their Spanish is completely different than ours. Yeah, Castilian Spanish is a whole nother ballgame. I'm watching Locked Up now, which is called Vis a Vis. And it's a Netflix show. It's called Locked Up. Okay. Um, it's kind of like Orange is the New Black, but it's a real version of what would it be if women were locked up. Okay. Very interesting. It's like Orange is the New Black and Oz mashed up into one. Okay. I, you, I mean, you got me kind of interested in watching. So it's, it's very good. The acting is very good. Shows, I don't know. But so that's what, what I've been into. Izzy, the, um, the show I want to ask you is BuzzFeed is doing a ton of shit on Netflix now I realize and like I, I I actually am feeling it like I like they got this show about like history it's called like ruining history mm-hmm. something uh, something like that it's one of those like uh how what was that dude that did like the talk soup shit I forgot Joel McHale Joel McHale like his style of shit but they're talking about history it's kind of like that drunk history show but or Comedy Central did something like that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Wait, I fuck. Oh, it's just I like doing videos for Netflix, is it? Yeah, they have oh. like a few things. They have this other shit um, where they talk about like influencers and hustles and different shit. There's been different things that I've seen on on Netflix done by BuzzFeed, like BuzzFeed TV or something. Like that. Oh. And uh, if you haven't checked that out, I would, I would check that stuff out. It's just it's just it reminds me like of shit you would see like online content. Like how long is it? Like how some long? Some of them be short. Some of them be like eight minutes. Some of them be like twenty minutes. Because I feel like that's been so popular now, especially with like even that app that came out, Quibi, where it's like all like ten minute episodes. Ten minute of things. Episode. Yeah. yeah, they're like all ten minute episode of like things. Like how? I think it's good. I think people's attention span is fucking short as fuck right now. So yes, it is. You know, to me, like I don't think Quibi. And, you know, it's like my own personal opinion. I don't think Quibi is going to be able to sustain itself. To me, you know, like we're not used to like seeing like episodes be 10 minutes. I mean, that's more like a YouTube thing, maybe. Yeah. yeah. To me, like as far as like pumping, dude, like they pump a lot of money into A it. lot of money. Just look but at people, the uh, people billion who are dollars, You're like, dude, like you're spending that much money. And the actors. hire maybe like a few YouTube creators actually do something differently and then put money behind that. That would have made more money than them hiring 
all these productions for them to do. Not only that, they're also buying shows from other networks. Yeah. So Reno 911 was a Comedy Central show. They yeah. went to Comedy Central and they bought the rights to the show and they're reproducing the show. So when you bring a show over like that, you have to go and hire the cast that was on that show. And it's not cheap to have actors, television mm. actors, on a different network and for just 10 minutes. And they have big old celebrities too. It's not like they just have like, you know, like TV show people. Like they have big movie stars on there like doing content as well, which I thought was crazy. So DB produced a show um, along with Tommy and Ivan called La Factoria. Talk to me about that for a little bit, you know, because a lot of people that we have in common were on that show and... (laughs) I don't think I've ever shown you the clip, but is we it, had Tommy. It was the one that took me out of uh, La Factoria. Wow. <laughs> you like that? Oh, I'm on. That wasn't even me. We oh, had Tommy and Ivan on the show, and Ivan was talking about why he loves working with you so much. Um, I'll send you the clip one of these days. Yeah, he basically said he came to you with the idea and you broke it down to him like, for me to work with you, I need X, Y, and Z. I need a script. I need this. I need that. And Ivan, he talks about it. He's like, I had no idea how to write a script ever. Mm-hmm. And I had to research it and I learned it on my own. And now anything I do, I write a script. Um, so talk to me about working with Tommy and Ivan and what is La Factoria and what was the process behind that? <clears throat> Yeah, so so the history with Tommy and Ivan is uh so I actually um actually hired Tommy to like work on this Warner Brothers PSA as like the superhero. So I actually yeah. had Tommy like work with me, well, I think 2015. And then you know, we stayed in touch. And then around 2017, I was on YouTube, and like part of kind of like my phase when you know like when I became charged of DB was like to start creating more original content about my culture and my people. So I go on YouTube. And I'm searching like, you know, like documentaries about, let's say Bad Bunny or, you know, like even Daddy Yankee. Knowing like, you know, that Daddy Yankee's been around what, since like 95, you know, you guys saw that video of him from way back. But if you look at, at our, our demographic, like there's no content about like none of these artists and these artists are putting bigger numbers than Drake sometimes, you know, bigger artists, uh, bigger numbers than- like streamed artists on Spotify, top Spotify, three. Spotify, YouTube. And then you look at like, okay, but where's the content for this? And there's no content there. So I was like, mm-hmm. you know what? Like, I'm going to create the content. I'm going to pitch for it. And then I told Thomas, hey, Tommy, you know, like I reached out to a bunch of people. Say, hey, to me, uh, we'll love, you know, if you could connect me to, let's say like Dali, you know, because Dali at, um, at the time was one of the biggest artists in, in, um, in New York as far as the Lion Trap movement. So, you know, Tommy said, hey, you know, like, look, I know these guys, you know, come to the studio, you know, and you'll meet them. It took Tommy maybe, what, two or three days to, you know, actually make that happen. Why it took maybe, like, people that I knew didn't even bother to help me out. I always hold dear Tommy and Evan because, like, whenever I need something from them, they're always there to actually help me out with it. Um, so Tommy and, and Ivan came to me and said, hey, you have this great idea. Like, what if we take the office and make that into a Spanish version of it? And for me, you know, um, that's actually school them on, you know, like, how do you actually bring something, you know, to the table, you know, from writing a script, from casting, from actually creating a story structure, you know, like a lot of their experience is mostly um, like IG and you don't, you can't create IG content and then bring it to, you know, to actual like TV or just, you know, like 
You yeah, you're going from 60 seconds to 30 minutes is a big difference. Yeah, you got to start writing characters. You got to start writing scenes, locations, and, you know, story structure. So, you know, for me, it was just like, this is a way for me to, to one, you know, like help my people, but also bring something to the market that's different. And, you know, part of me right now is just like, how do we create content that really generates um, an audience, but also make sure that, that we're telling stories about our own community and, you know, like we're our own people. Like it's not, you know, like a company like Vice going out there or, or a company like Complex where, you know, like, like they don't know our culture. They're seeing it from an outsider perspective as for us at DB and you guys, we're actually living that culture. So for me, that's the difference between stuff that we're working on. It's more about, you know, how do we bring our story to the table, but do it in a way that, you know, has quality as well. Um, so, you know, we're working right now on another few shows as well. So we're always pitching too. So, yeah. So we got the pleasure of watching a couple of episodes. Um, uh, that shit is fucking fire. I mean, it's hilarious. It's, it's, uh, it's in Spanish, um, but the jokes translate. And if you get to see it, you're going to like it. So we got a segment on this show that we do. It's called Three, Two, One. Uh, basically, three things you've been watched, three things you've watched during quarantine, two okay. things you've listened to or read, and one thing you do to keep your sanity. Besides, mess with Django. Yeah, he doesn't leave me alone. He really doesn't leave me. He's been here the entire time. Really? Wait. So what's the three one? The three things that what? Three things you've watched. Oh, three things I watch. Might have read or listened to, and one thing you do to keep yourself sane. So three things I watch. Do I rewatch The Wire? Just oh, from like I'm in the middle of it right now, season four. Dude, just from like a writing, you know, like developing stories and, and characters. That show is just amazing. Like to me, it might be like my best. Well, my favorite TV show ever, The Wire. Tiger King, uh, Pandemic. Dude, the pandemic. Just from like the filmmaking perspective, it's you know. To me, uh, it was amazing to go back and forth between each uh, each person on camera, but then also the Jordan doc. To me, that doc was well executed, um, well put together. Two things that I read or listened to. I'm a podcast guy. I almost like listening to a lot of political podcasts. Trump is fucking up the entire country. but um, So I watch that or I listen to that a lot. And then one thing that keeps me saying or you know if I'm going crazy it's uh, I just go outside and I ride my bike you know like for exercise gain mad weight but I'm trying to stay healthy everybody has everybody has um I just had you said something and I was like man I should I got something else for you to watch what when it comes back to me I'll, I'll let you know what it is um but I have been watching Boardwalk Empire and The Wire together and to see what Michael K. Williams did on The Wire and what he did on Boardwalk and the range that he has as an actor. Oh, no, yeah, that is amazing, dude. Yeah, it is, man. I'm talking about the best characters in this whole show. I think Omar, um, Omar Stringer Bell. Dude. I think that Stringer was. Bell, Omar, uh, um, McNulty. Um, I love the wire. But dude, you know, so, so I watched The Wire like the first time, I think, what, maybe three or four years ago. And I was like, yo, Stringer Bell is amazing. And I watched it again. Now I'm like, Stringer Bell's an asshole. Like, yeah. That's, what? You know what? You know what The Wire is like to me in, in that way? It's kind of like Breaking Bad um, to me. Mm-hmm. Because did you watch Breaking Bad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So I watched Breaking Bad three times, right? 
Mm-hmm. The first time I watched it while it was going on, like, you know, like, like season to season, I was actually following it. So I would wait a year between seasons, whatever, right? Now, I watched the whole show, and the first time I watched it, I was like, yo, Walt, damn, like, all this shit's crazy. Like, I, I looked at it from, like, like damn, this fucking Jesse's always fucking this shit up. Like, yeah, it's like, how do what he had to do and shit? And then, yeah. And the second time I watched it, I was like... You kind of feel for Jesse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Walt, Walt is actually a fucking asshole from the beginning. <laughs> no. um, and then the third time I watched it, uh, and I had a little bit of other context as I watched, but I started I started watching Better Call Saul. Like a little bro, that bit. show was better, dude. I heard it was better than better, bro. It's, it's like it, I, listen, I can't and say who told you about it. You didn't tell me about that shit. I, I did uh, not. Oh my god! Here we go. All, All right, right Chris, go oh, ahead. But I haven't seen. We're always having this argument because Rick, look, Rick is the type of person that, that show I put you on. You put him onto some shit, and then he'll come back and tell you about it, like. Like if he's putting you on, like bro, I, I I'm, I'm putting you on right now. I told you about Better Call Saul. <laughs> um, but the third time I watched it, and like, there's a perspective of like of Gustavo of Frank. Mm. Once you get some context, oh, like, he's a fucking fantastic um, character, man. From Better Call Saul, you kind of like, you kind of like, you know what? Fuck Walt and fuck Jesse and fuck everybody else. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it's to me, it was like. Watching three different shows, like depending on when and how you consume it too. I feel like now everybody consumes shows, like everybody binges now. Like I won't watch a show while it's going on. I'll wait and I'll binge it. But before I used to be like one of those people that on Sunday night, I was like, nah, bro, I gotta get home. Um the Sopranos coming on and then the wires coming on right afterwards. So I haven't seen any of those shows. Not so one. we're gonna mute your mic right now for saying that. Because that's yeah. television. Sorry, but guys. What I'm watching it now, I got an appreciation for Daniels and Freeman. Lester Freeman. Okay. Yeah. yeah, you know, Freeman, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Because Freeman's the one that basically takes the case. Like, McNulty, he did all the heavy lifting, for sure. McNulty, McNulty wanted yeah. to do something he didn't dude, know how to go about it. Crazy, dude. Yeah, I couldn't stand him at the time. I'm like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? But he, his heart's in the right place. He's just crazy. That character based off Rick, by the way. It is. And then you have the bunk, right? Who is like crazy boogie, quiet, and he gives him advice and he tells him, yo, you know what you're doing. This is what's going to happen. But he doesn't listen. Still doesn't, yeah. But Daniels, I feel for because he just tries to do the job the way he wants to. And he gets pulled in different directions and he caves in. Bro, that, that show just had too many good characters, bro. Because, like, Dude, if you I think love about- that show, because, uh, um, um, that's a control, but if you think about the show, like, the show has, like, a layer, right? Think about, like, that show as in layers, right? That show yeah. is telling you why there's a problem in Baltimore. Exactly. Yeah, from every different person that. Is, every angle. That's impacted box, by it from the, yeah, papers, the school. Exactly. Like, the character, it has so many fucking complex characters. Like Wallace, I like uh, Michael B. Jordan. I'll never, Dude, never books, kill man. Wallace. You know, Bodie. Do I? Come on, like, they have to kill Bodie, man. I hate that. And also, uh, you know, Rawls is an asshole. Oh yeah, Fuck on the that. show, but it shows you like NYPD. Well, cops. I'm not gonna say NYPD. When they're at that point, they're more about number driven because yeah. you see cops and you're like, oh, this guy, this cop's an asshole. But it issue. takes you behind the scene and lets you see how the shit trickles down. 
And he's just basically, I don't want new new murders. I don't want you to bring some heat on me. I just want to put in my number. Who wrote the character of fucking Clay Davis? <laughs> that was magical. That dude. Gee. Gee. I understand that character, man. I love but that shit. It Davis was because... Like, political, I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know, there's a lot of people like that in fucking Congress. A lot Yo, of writing on the show is from someone who was involved in the Baltimore Police Department and somebody who was involved in the Baltimore Sun and lived through all that. And they got together and they put the story together. Like they put it. The Deuce is also done by David Simon, which is a pretty good show. That's the one that's crazy. Like thumbs up. The one I didn't like. I didn't like Tremaine. He did Tremaine. And he did something else too. You know, Tremaine. I, I wanted to love it. I really wanted to. Like I watched. I watched like a good seven episodes of it, and you know, I got. I appreciated. You know, never really knowing what the fuck happened in New Orleans, and I really wanted to like it, but I just. It just was not like I feel like their storytelling on it was maybe not. if you watch it now, you'll have a different appreciation. Maybe, maybe. So at before we went on live on YouTube, I asked is for a number, one or two. That's depending on what deck we're gonna pull from. So he said two. So uh here we go. These are random questions I'm gonna pull from a deck of cards. Um I didn't write these questions. He's never heard. This is going to be five questions. I didn't write these questions. I don't know what they are. He's never heard them. This is not pre-planned or anything. Oh, no. Don't put me on the spot with this shit. How much would you... How much would someone have to pay you for your little toe? (laughs) What? My toe? Your little toe. Wait. Wait, wait. To take from me or to... To take it. Keep it. Take it? Like in Harlem Nights where he shot her pinky toe off. Uh, I maybe a million. I don't know, dude. Is a million? Pinky, man. Damn, that's an expensive little toe, man. Uh, you can't you not keep your balance if you don't have a pinky toe? No, no, we all we have all had that. You don't have a pinky toe? No, like if you they cut your pinky toe off, I thought you foot couldn't balance. Isn't that like the urban myth? Is if you lost both pinky toes and your two big toes, you wouldn't have any balance. What? Oh shit! I thought it was just your pinky toe. That's weird. Question number two. What's the most awkward thing that happens to you on a regular basis? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm about... That's a I great question. Be, I don't know what would be awkward. Oh, dude. No, nah, I ain't going to say it. It's never mind. <laughs> no, it's too late. You're already halfway yeah, there. This jangle, bro. So, like, sometimes, right, like... I don't know where he got this shit from. For, like, he learns how to fart now. So, you know, if I have, yeah, have people over, you know, <laughs> he might, you know, like be mad quiet out of nowhere. He'll do something like that. And I'm just like, that's not me, by the way. <laughs> that's so, hilarious. Yes, yeah, so that's mad embarrassing. Okay. Would you rather have unlimited sushi for life or unlimited tacos for life? Oh, do tacos. I hate sushi. That's easy. <laughs> tacos. All right. That was a no brainer, huh? Still pick tacos over anything, anyways. Come on. Yeah. Who would, who would you most like to sit next to on a ten-hour flight, and why? Dude, honestly, it's gonna be like a random ass like answer, but I probably say Fifty Cent. Yo, people sleep on Fifty, man. No, I mean I would say Fifty because bro, Fifty took one career, which is rap, and then turned it into multiple different like revenue streams. 
TV, film, you know, you, what sneakers, I guess, also like you know, clothes, clothes, clothes. Uh, you know, like liquor, alcohol, you label. Know, so for me, it's like, you know, like that's entrepreneurial, you know, he he made it big in one industry and then now, you know, he expanded. So for me, it's like, how do you, you know, pick his brain? You know, I would love to just sit down with 50. So the secret to those guys, I'm going to tell you, once you get to 500 million net worth, you invest in liquor brand. That liquor brand takes you close to a billion and then you have to invest in something. They always go from music, clothing, liquor, Oh, and Jay-Z took a different route. He invested in a couple of different things and he made a huge conglomerate. You guys realize but 50 do the same thing, actually, right? Like, 50 has not only the best show on stars, but he just got for life now on ABC and he's ready to shoot two other. He has like seven shows. You're really like pending. Television. That's another show that I wanted to like, but I, I couldn't really um well, no, I like power was okay. It wasn't like I haven't a, seen for life yet. I'm waiting for the whole thing to yeah, I want to see about my style. They're both great. Yeah. <laughs> Clarence is like, yo, they're both great. <laughs> I mean oh, look, hi. hi Clarence. I think power I think power was cool. I liked it. I like the characters on it, but I didn't really like for life. I like the story about the guy because that's this based on like a real dude. Mm-hmm. Um he the guy like views. He got his like law degree in jail and then got out. Um, right. Yeah, he got like his appeal and then wound up um, be, uh, getting the dudes like that the judge and like the prosecutor or some shit that like set him up. And, like it's like a real story. Like I really wanted to like the shit, but it's just it's kind of maybe season two. You got to give shows time, craze. What do you like? You got to give there's certain shows that I've watched the first season. I'm like, it's OK. Season like two the, comes in and they it's like, kinda, like that actor is kind of like um, he does a really good like uh, Denzel esque, you know, performance. Like he's not like craze. Really? And the last. <laughs> watch, watch it. I'm saying like he does, <laughs> what he does like a food combination. No, I've seen I've seen what weird food combinations do you really enjoy? <laughs> so shit that doesn't go together. So I put like rice with banana. Like you know the Dominican thing, you know, like rice and beans and chicken, and you put like a banana, yeah. like a yellow banana, something like that. I fucks with that though. Mm. Then what happened? You know, I was saying it's me like weird though, but it's kind of like the, the weird mix. It's not. I've seen it done before in the yard. Yeah. If you're Dominican, that's kind of normal. It's like. Like you don't do like cereal with like orange juice or like some weird shit like that. Oh, wait, so Jayla's asking me to go back into the deck and pick a different question. She didn't. Like I think that? so. I think so. I oh, I, I will executively uh, as the as the female on the show, and because Izzy's already tried me a couple times, I'm gonna go ahead and make you pull another card. If you had a personal mascot, what would it be? Personal mascot. Mascot. Um. A Spartan. A Spartan? Yeah. Oh. Crazy would be a hookah. A hookah with wheels. I think oh, I'm here. A what? I'd like the California bear as my Kodiak. Right. Oh, but you're not even from... You see what I mean with this guy? I just like that. What the fuck you want? I would like to thank Iz for coming on the show today. Yeah, Much appreciated, my brother. Appreciate you guys, Digital Bodega also produces a podcast. 
Hey. Uh, is if you could plug that in for the people, please. Yeah, so just go on our YouTube channel and just look at Digital Bodega, and then we got the video podcast there also. Podcast library. Jack, yo, Jack's like, doesn't want to get off. So look out for more DB features. Uh, we're working right. No, uh, we're working right now on a few original content, and you know, we're looking to, you know, hopefully release those this summer. Well, if you do something, it's going to get plugged into our channel. So, yeah, man. We really love what you're doing. We love the fact that you kind of started. You come I think from we like, met like a year ago. I think it was. And we, yeah. We and we, 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 before we met with you, we, we, liked, we liked the fact that the, the ghetto film school was like my first. I, I never even, I didn't even know that that existed in the Bronx. Oh, I, grew, I did. I, um, <laughs> I put Craze on to it. You put me on, <laughs> put me on to that. Um, and like just the fact that it has a kind of like that nonprofit roots uh, to it was like a was like for us. Like, yo, that's dope that he was able to kind of, like, come from where we come from, do this kind of content, and also bring, like, go, get into this field and bring that shit back, you know, here and do some nonprofit. We're really nonprofit-minded. We come from that similar background, too. Um, yeah. So appreciate the stuff that you've done. He is in the nonprofit game. We appreciate the shit that you do on a daily basis, you know, to kind of like man. Appreciate you, man. Um, to bring the Bronx, you know, and and that, that digital. Just digital. love the fact that you're from the Bronx. That's what. Yo, it is. I love it. I fucking love it. You know. <laughs> so, is thank you for coming on to the show. Next week is our season five finale. Hopefully, wow. for season six, we'll be hey. back in a studio somewhere, recording in person, more content, more production, more videos. Justin, where are you? You in there? Justin. Justin said we should have Funk Master Flex for the last episode. To I drop said, a bomb. I, I got Funk Flex. Because I got to confront Funk Master Flex about an incident between me and him, you know, when I was <laughs> 15 years old. I was working at haagen I can't stand you. <laughs> he came in there and he tried to skip the line and yelled at me in haagen So we got to confront Justin for bringing that to my attention. We're going to try Crazes revenge on Funk Flex. You know, just Flex. confront them. I just wanted them to own up what he did. Flex, pay, play the music, stop dropping bombs on everything. I want to hear the record. <laughs> Is thanks for coming on. Jayla, I'll see you yeah, live from the okay. lawyer's living room. Crazy Boogie. <laughs> Justin's not going to say goodbye. I'll see you guys next week. Yes, Is, peace, bro. Bye.